Hey, welcome to another episode of the Traverse Science Podcast. Today we have a repeat guest, Dr. Kelly Swanson, Professor of Animal and Nutritional Sciences at University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. And we talk a lot about fiber today. Uh, what is the definition of fiber? What are the structural components of fiber, the different subtypes of fibers, functional characteristics of fiber, uh, let's see, clinical trial design, pitfalls in publishing. Uh, one time Kelly went and uh, confronted someone at a conference for not describing fiber well enough. Uh, so this is great. Even if you're well-versed in fiber or not, it's a great place to just refresh, uh, get the basics of fiber, and hear it straight from someone who studies this day in and day out. So enjoy. Bringing it back, maybe especially more to your domain a little bit with pet food, and dogs and cats, what are like the top considerations someone should have between feeding fiber to a dog versus a cat, right? They have extremely different diets, right? Yeah, well, they, they can be similar, but, but when you get to fiber, the cat certainly is more sensitive, especially with fermentable um, fiber. And I, I still I give presentations. I, I refer back to a, a publication, I think it was 1995, that the, out of the Fahey lab where they, when they first were kind of getting into fiber with pets and they compared fecal inocula from, from cats, dogs, pigs, I think it was horses, cattle, and humans all in one, a couple of papers. And if you look at the microbes from the cat, they were just as active as that from any of the other species. Mm -hmm. So they're a carnivore. But I think the big thing is their response, the host response to all those short chain fatty acids and this fermentation in general is very different. So yeah, when you think about formulating cat foods, and versus dog foods, there might be some things you say, okay, they can be very similar. When it comes to fiber, the, the tolerance is lower. So you'd have to be careful there. Um, they still are unique. I see you're like, oh, I can see you thinking there. The, the, the cats and dogs are still unique, so they, they still have different requirements. But but some things you can, um, in, in pet food, the other thing too, versus livestock, when it comes to fat and protein, like amino acids, fatty acids, typically we're not close to the recommendation anyway. They're, they're usually over, kind of overfed protein and mm. fat. So that's where the composition can look quite similar just because, you know, cat foods will still usually un, on average have more protein. They, they might have a little bit different format and more animal based ingredients than, than dogs that are more omnivorous. But um, yeah, when you get to fiber, the the threshold is going to be different. So you have to be careful there with, with the cat. Um, you can overdo it with the with dogs as well. Um, just too much soluble fermentable fibers can lead to loose stools. So you have to be careful there. Why, um, uh, why is there fiber at all, actually? Why even care about fiber in cats, right? So if they're carnivores, yeah. do they have any... I'm not going to use the word need because that's a little loaded term, but... Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like what a natural it, cat... Oh, maybe this is your point about eating insects too. What uh, is there fiber in a carnivorous diet? There is, and that's where most of it will come from the animal fiber, where if, if you think about, uh, and this is where people argue too. So yeah, we've, we've tested raw foods before in, in cats, actually, uh, with uh, using the domestic cat as a, as kind of as a model for zoo cats. So the, the large cats and tigers and jaguars and stuff like that. We did that work over a decade now where we're looking at some of these raw meat diets where there was virtually no plant products at all and they were quite constipated the large cats actually did better than our domestic cats did um but in some of those if you look at think about our domestic cat um maybe some of the bigger cats too but if you think about domestic cats if they're eating mice and, and things usually they eat the whole right. 
they're not taking out just parts of the carcass they eat the whole carcass where <laughs> they're not having the mouth sirloin some of that <laughs> yeah yeah the hair the connective tissue and stuff kind of will be measured as animal fiber and so that's kind of what comes into like it if you did a um, like a, with, a total dietary fiber type analysis you would even yeah, though it's so not you'll measure carbohydrate you'd get a uh, a reading out of it that there's some fiber in there yeah so it'll it'll measure as fiber and even some of the like in insects the chitin and things like that will measure as as, as fiber as well even though it's coming from animals so <clears throat> there is a on the on the carnivore side it's almost all just cat research basically <laughs> i think <clears throat> they'll talk about animal fiber a little bit more and where they where it might come from and um, just providing a little bit of laxation where again it might not you know it it all depends on how much is there, of course, um, what the diet is of how much fiber it measures as, but, um, but you get, a, uh, in certain, you know, um, chicken byproduct meal or something like that. If there's more connective tissue there, a lot of that connective tissue will be not digestible yeah. and it might not be fermentable either. So it'll measure as fiber in the, our you know, the TDF assay. It's like almost so, like um, it's cellulose. Yeah. Yeah. So you, yeah. So you, you come down and, and sometimes when you do all the assays, you're like, oh, we added up to, you know, sometimes it'll add up to more to more than 100 percent. And you're like, why? You know, why does it do this? Or and usually sometimes it'll be the animal fiber that'll kind of add. So if you yeah. if you just, you know, cook it, cook it, cook it, or depending on what enzymes you have, you, it'll measure as protein, but it also will, will measure as fiber. And um, in some of those assays, too, if, if the fiber is bound to other things, it like you said, a carnivore diet, you wouldn't measure it. But in in other analyses if the fiber is bound to other things it there might be more measured as fiber than not if you're just using the simple more of a simplistic um assay where you're filtering things i know we're getting into methodology there but that's always the the trick of okay it's supposed to have this much fiber and then we measure it in the lab and it has this much <laughs> well, what, you know why or where is it coming from and what is it so um all these methods are a little different too and that's that's the the difficulty and there, there's a term too that kind of relates here too is you um uh, i think it was justin sonnenberg uh, i think he was the one that coined it my, uh, microbial accessible carbohydrates so mm. mac or max the problem with that term or the biggest problem i see is there's no assay that will allow right. you to measure that right. so it, it's very messy that conceptually it's a great idea that what you know what is non-digestible what is then fermentable to the bacteria but you'd have to do many, many assays to, you know, <laughs> in many different ways and probably an in vitro fermentation actually to see what is fermentable, what can we measure as fiber and then do some math to see what that number would actually be. But it's great conceptually, but what you can measure in, in, in a laboratory is very problematic. And anything that you're like, a, if you're a food or feed supplier, ingredient supplier, you're going to be measuring something in the lab. Yeah. You're not, you know, it, it routinely, you have to have something you can routinely measure in the lab and, and then, and then guarantee that on the label. And so, um, you know, you're not going to do this elaborate 17 assays <laughs> just to get our fiber and to validate that, you know, you're not going to do that. So, um, I know I'm getting off onto another, another spot there, but, um, but that's the tricky side of, I guess with human foods, but also, with pet foods, you're guaranteeing a maximum fiber is what, what you have to guarantee. And, um, it's complete and balanced food. So you have to, you want to provide, you know, fiber. And that's where some people get on the cat side. You could argue how much fiber do they really need? Cause they, they didn't evolve eating much fiber. Mm -hmm. Even if you can argue they eat the whole mouse and there's fiber within the gut of that mouse, if they're eating, you know, vegetable, oh, interesting. You know, 
plant-based products. So there's some fiber yeah. there, but um, still it's not a huge amount of fiber that they were, would be consuming kind of as consuming a whole prey. Um, uh, so there are some people that, that argue about that as well, yeah. about how much carbohydrate and just fiber should be in a cat food. Dude, um, um, the fiber that does go in cat food, is it mostly insoluble then? Or do, is it soluble as well? There will be some soluble, and that's where, you know, um, I, I, it's kind of the Fahey rule. And I think over <laughs> years of experience that he, he usually says, you know, if it's about 75 percent, you know, 70 to 80 percent insoluble and about maybe 20 to 30 percent soluble, that's a pretty good ratio. Where, where, and the main outcome of that, I can tell you, we can do all the elaborate testing we want to, but the main outcome for that, for that ratio working is stool quality, because that's mm -hmm. what the most... Mm -hmm. Pet owners, that's what it comes down to when they think about fiber and if it's a problem or not, it's usually a stool quality. Of course, it's like any, you know, calcium phosphorus ratios or something, the amount or you know, think like an omega-6, omega-3 fatty acids. It's not only the ratio, it's the amount of, you know, would be the amount of fiber that's there as yeah. well. So I think in the cat, it probably, there's going to be a threshold of how much soluble fiber can they handle, mm -hmm. you know, like how many, you know, percentage of their food or you know, grams per day, or there, there's got to be some number that I don't think anyone really has a, a magic number that they have in their head, but that, you know, three to one, four to one ratio does work pretty well, insoluble to soluble fiber. Um, we just have to keep in mind too, how much fiber is there yeah. as well. That, okay. That, that brings up, the, that's an excellent comparison to make, uh, which comes back to our discussions on food matrix, you know, <clears throat> ratios of like omega three to omega six. So in a diet, you could also have a ratio of soluble to insoluble. So if you're trying to extract a fiber, whether it be soluble or insoluble, feed that alone, that could have a very different effect based on if it was in some other ratio to another fiber, uh, mm -hmm. which is a scary thought from the perspective of trial design. <laughs> yeah, you, you'd, that's what you, you could do. I know most people will do, you know, if you do a dose response, see how much we could do, but you know, how much can we give in the diet? How do they respond? But yeah, a, a, you could do a completely, well, you could double your study or you could do two separate studies <laughs> if you really wanted to get yeah. to, if I want to look at different fractions and we've, we've looked at fiber blends before. That's what people are going to mm. as well in, in pet foods where, um, you know, some fibers and beet pulp is a good example. Some of these vegetable fruit pumices are decent examples as well by on their own they have a nice mixture of both soluble and insoluble fibers um but other people want either due to patent or due to they want something new they want they want a blend and so they'll have a fiber blend yeah. and so a key part of that is yeah how much can you put in there and what what do you want to use as part of that blend you know what is either from a marketability perspective or mm -hmm. or maybe availability what can they mm. get uh, a good supply of it, it there's many variables there but um, so we've done some in vitro is looking at a couple on their fibers on their own and then, okay, now let's combine them at a few different ratios to see what those kinetics will give us. And then ultimately then you'd want to move into the, you know, into the animal to see how they perform. But yeah, yeah it, that's when, when you think about fiber analytically designing studies, you know, the, what's on the label, there's so many different ways it gets really complicated. So you have to um, think about what, what's your main goal first yeah. and then, and then see how you do that. Cause it can get really complicated really quickly. Um, uh, so you'd really have to know what you want to do before you just kind of jump in because you'll have 20 groups and all, you know, all these factors oh, yeah. that you can't control and it'll be really difficult. Kind of make your world small in some way. Yeah. Yeah. You have to. That, that's where <laughs> I 
can't remember if I've already talked to you about this, but um, when I was researching ingredients or just nutritional components of infant formula and breast milk, DHA is uh, fairly well researched. There's, of course, more research to do, but I think of the nutrients that might impact brain development in pediatric nutrition, DHA is up there, like top five probably. Mm -hmm. And there were some reviews done a while ago now. There probably might be more recent ones. I think this one was maybe done 10 years ago looking at DHA and ARA. And they found that DHA was only beneficial for like eye and cognitive health at a certain dose, but then it also had to be at a certain ratio with arachidonic acid. Mm -hmm. So that made it really tricky because you'd look at all these studies on just DHA and they have really different physiological effects than if you had them together. So, and that's just two molecules. There you have two molecules and two doses, I guess. And you have to have like, you know, you've got a little window there of success or or to at least demonstrate that it has some physiological benefit. So then how that, there probably is not probably there's definitely more in for more complexity in terms of maybe like other lipid structures that those fatty acids might be attached to. Um, but you know, you know, bring that type of comparison back to fiber and how many different little characteristics have to be just right to get that physiological benefit. And you mentioned feeding blends. I mean, that's probably wise. It's definitely wise from a patent perspective because someone else has, it's probably crowded in the sense of being able to, create a new fiber people have done that for a while mm-hmm. or create a new method of making that fiber people have done that but you can put them together in potentially novel ways which of course from a yeah. scientific perspective you're just like ah oh, you're making this complicated for us yeah. <laughs> why do you got to go with a blend yeah. here there's too many things <laughs> yeah yeah well you said something i i wrote one, one thing down that something maybe i'm not sure if it relates it right here but when people talk about People forget about fiber, but they talk about, oh, fat, carbohydrate, protein ratios. Oh. Usually they're carbohydrate. They're only talking about starch. Yeah. So on the obesity side, when I do obesity work and I've asked people at, at microbiome conferences, oh, a high fat diet did this. And so I'll start asking, well, if that went up, what went yes, down yes, and yeah. where is fiber at? Because people usually don't, they totally ignore fiber. <laughs> Who so cares about fiber? Yeah. Have a, but uh, the effect of a high fat, low carb diet would be very different depending on how much fiber you have yeah. there. So, cause when they say high fat, low carb, it's usually starch is what they say. Carbohydrate. It's always digestible carbohydrate. And it drives me crazy. <laughs> but so that's the other thing, like you said, if, if you just focus on one, one category and ignore the others, you can say high fiber, low fiber, but of course that would, yeah. if you fo- if you're focused on fiber, cause we're focusing on fiber here, the fat content, would definitely impact what the effect of a high fiber or low fiber diet would, would be, mm-hmm. you know, because if it's high fiber, low fat, of course, it'd be very different than high fiber, high fat. And, you know, it's, so there's only a hundred percent, of course, you have to, <laughs> yeah. you have to get up to a hundred percent somehow, but it, it really becomes complicated. And sometimes some studies are designed where there's a huge bias oh. and some, and again, there's only so many things you can control when you get to diet, what, what stays the same, what has to shift, but, um, you know, that's just, it, it gets really tricky. If you're, and if you're just one kind of one dimensional, we're looking at fiber, we're controlling fiber. There's other things can be moving around and it's completely will kind of blindside you. And it's the worst if you're, if you don't see that until you're trying to publish it. And then this reviewer comes and says, whoa, 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 yeah. wait a second. This, you know, this <laughs> is not legitimate comparison because this other factor is there that you haven't thought about. And so it, it gets to be, um, it's, it's difficult. So you try to think about it in many different ways, but um, 
it's, yeah it's, it's it, a, food's just impossible it's just you can't yeah it's it. it's complicated so um i don't know if you were on any of the committees but i know like hannah holscher has had some students i think both hannah and naman khan have had students uh, studying avocados and um they've looked at their dietary intake and it's really difficult to study a whole food because they i know they designed menus um but as you've said things have to add up to 100 so something's got to come or go um, mm -hmm. And so you could look at what people who are, you could look at art in RCT, people who are controlled to eat avocado, and it's still hard to make everything the same, the same fiber, the yeah. same lipids, the same protein, the same starch. And you could go the other route, and you could look at cohort data, but the type of people to consume avocados just also consume other things. Um, so it's like no matter how you design a controlled trial or do an observational one it's a it's like okay well are these effects because of an avocado or because the macronutrient profile changed uh or because yeah, yeah. or because you know because they started feeling more full and had more or less of a different type of fiber which is just this like paradox of like you can't be reductionist but you have to be <laughs> but you also have to take this yeah. holistic uh i don't want to use the word holistic but um maybe well-rounded view um yeah and no, you're right yeah. that if you're, but it depends on the, the variable that's the most important, but I, I was just on a, on a, a thesis defense exam this week, earlier this week. And so there, there was, but the, the student was looking at, they wanted to keep digestible carbohydrates the same. And they were looking at different kind of diet, different dietary inclusion levels of different ingredients and everything. But that was, they were, they were very focused on that. But as it turns out, the way they were adding things as you went from all this say from a to e fiber went up and protein yeah. went down so <laughs> if you're making claims about certain things you're saying in these ingredients i said but okay but diet e had a lot more fiber and a lot less protein than what this other one had so you can't say alone it was due to that ingredient it was because the macronutrient profile is very different yeah. and probably micronutrient as well so it yeah it it the, when it comes down to research is what variables are you going to control and what other variables maybe you can't control, but if hopefully if you can acknowledge the other things that happen, but, and while you're designing the diets um, or your outcomes, you really have to think about what other things might be changing. Hopefully, you know, some love because you can kind of invalidate the, at least what you're trying to prove if it's too different in another way, you know, that, um, you know, some ways it's easy. Like you said, if, if, if they were just on that study, I wasn't part of the study. I've, I've been on a couple of committees, I think with students that were kind of involved. It was a really big, elaborate study. Um, it, yeah, if you were to say adding an avocado or adding anything, an extra something a day and just go with it that way, just say, you're just adding it. Um, but then you could say, what if you add it and then you try to make adjustments. So again, Mm -hmm. you're, you're adjusting for your fiber or fat or whatever you can do it that way too. So I can, you can make an argument for both, yeah. I think, you know, but, but depending on how you design it really affects what you can interpret and what you can say about it at the end. So you really have to know what you're, what you want to say at the end. If you're on a, on the marketing side, what do you, what's your claim going to be, or what's your angle here? Because if you design it the wrong way, then you clearly can't <laughs> say it, you know, that, so you can't give that claim. Um, because there's other factors, you know, changing. So, um, since yeah. we do a lot of literature review nowadays, I kind of feel less worried about like the, a, the good design of an individual study and about groups of them. Cause sometimes a clinical trial is designed really poorly 
for one question, but actually well for another mm -hmm. question. But you know, you got to make yeah. a story around your data and publish it somewhere. So you're mm -hmm. going to go with some sort of story. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so the on that note of like what you're going to replace, so the European Food and Safety Administration came out with this draft opinion on the, I think, what is it? The tolerable upper intake of dietary sugar. And you can think of sugar as being total free or added total, just being everything that's in that food added, you typically meaning it was added during processing. Um, mm -hmm. We're not even going to talk about free. Uh, <laughs> and they had found that there was a relationship between how much um, added sugar uh, people consumed and adverse health endpoints, you know, think of like diabetes, gout, um, mm. metabolic syndrome. So, okay, more added sugar equals bad health outcomes. But then they have what I thought was like, should have been bolded at the very top of everything is if you look at added sugar, isocalorically exchanged for other macronutrients, that relationship went away. So if, if you look at it on an isolore comparison, you know, some amount of added sugar versus some amount of any other energy source could be starch, protein, fat, you know, it no longer had this relationship to disease. And I think there's this, you know, there's a lot of discussion right now about food quality. Is it can, you know, is calories in calories out versus this carbohydrate insulin model. And I think if I, it's a pretty big report. I think Yessa did a fairly good job. <laughs> And I thought, wow, this just seems straight up calories in, calories out here. And uh, I think yeah. people, that's a hill to, for some people to die on. I'm not going to die on that hill. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that was extremely important then to you. And they have like all the forest plots with their meta-analyses. You can look at, not only can you look at a food in isocaloric exchange with another or isolipidic, isonitrogenous, whatever, what about the diet overall? Was that meeting the energy needs or was it an energy surplus or energy deficit? You So the two food thing comparisons have to be, well, they don't have to be, but you should at least know if they have similar energy or whatever, but then you should also look at the overall diet. So to your point, like, okay, you could study, you could design that study to just add an avocado or you could replace it. It probably has to be done both ways. Uh, yeah, the outcomes, I think they do differ a little bit depending on how you how you design it. Yeah. That, um, you know, what you can say, no, that I, I don't, I don't know the specifics of what you just like on the, added sure, sure. Sugar, no, just, that's that just an example, but yeah, it, cause it does matter that how you represent the data. It, it, it um, it, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's complex, but it's not at the same time. It's like, did you have the right covariates in place? Okay. Well, if you didn't, yeah. then, you know, if we gotta <laughs> yeah. think about this in yeah. context of what you did, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, it definitely, the design dictates what you can say or can't say about it at, at the end. So it, um, and you, again, every study can't, you can't do everything in one study. No. So you have to really, really think about what are your main outcomes and why, what do you want to prove or disprove and then, you know, design it the correct way and then, and then do it. But, but it, yeah, it's not, it's a lot easier. Um, does this, this sound so like haughty, totty and arrogant? Well, oh, fiber is so complex, you know, like it's a lot easier, I think, to design a study where two groups have similar fat, protein or carb. Um, you could design them with similar fiber. But as you've talked about this whole time, like, do they have the same ratio of soluble to insoluble or what type of fiber was it? I, I suppose you can make the same argument, you know, what type of fats were they? What type of lipids? What type of proteins yeah. and, and things like that? So, um yeah, no, I'm also tired of seeing those studies where it's like, we fed 
animals a a high fat, high carb cafeteria diet. Uh, and yeah, you could actually yeah, yeah. look at what's in there, and I'm like, is this relevant? I don't know if anyone gets that much of their energy from straight up sucrose, but okay. Yeah, yeah. No, that I mean, th this is where where the arguments or discussions we can decide what <laughs> each one is probably separate, but. Even when I was a grad student, I was at a, a conference and people were presenting this big, I won't say names or anything, but it was published at this um, paper was published in a pretty big journal and they were from a very prominent group is all I'll yeah. say. But all their data hinged on crude fiber, which is a horrible measure of fiber. It's a very <laughs> poor measure of fiber. Yeah. So all of their, their correlations and all this assessment was done that way. So within our group, uh, we, the paper had come out before the conference, and so I was, um, you know, I, so I, I was the, the grad student ready to storm up to that poster and just <laughs> a few a few hundred. Well, I was in a in a in a, in a plenary talk, uh, like hundreds of people in this room, and I got the nerve up to go to the microphone and ask the question yes. and kind of discredit the the expert in the in the room. But but it was it was a complete. Um, but I mean, Fahey kind of, he still said when I got back, you were right. And you, you did it so, backfire? Well, how did that play out? Did it backfire on you or did they go, you know what? You're right. No, they, they kind of, um, I don't, they weren't fiber experts and that's part of the problem that they, they didn't know what they were talking about in the fiber side, but they're making all these claims about fiber and health. And it was like, oh, fiber shows no benefit for X, Y, and Z. Well, yeah, if you don't measure fiber accurately, it's, you're, you're not going to show a benefit because it's not being measured correctly like anything and so even today though and so that was you know this is that's 20 years ago um but but and so they they kind of said oh we use some some measure but they didn't really know what was used actually <laughs> as it turns out which was a, is a poor measure so um anyway I, i've thought about that many times like oh i got the nerve up to say what i wanted to say but it was always you know once i sat down i'm like oh i should have said one more thing you know it's one of those things but um still People still think of, unfortunately, like you said, people understand, oh, there's different types of lipids, there's different types of whatever. When it comes to fibers, there are a lot of people that still say just fiber. They don't right. know all the complexities that we've been talking about for the last, what, 90 minutes <laughs> or know, so. Yeah. On just saying fiber does not mean fiber. They have all these different properties and and it, it still gets to me sometimes that, oh, the high fiber diet didn't change the microbiome. Well, if depending on what it is and what you call high fiber, number one, what is high fiber and what oh, changed? I I... But then also if it's pure, just cellulose, that's high fiber. It might not change it at all because it's not being fermented, you know? So, it, you know, it depends on the whole situation. And so sometimes people will say, oh, fiber doesn't have an effect, but it, it depends on the type of fiber you're talking like about, you know, so wild thing to say, it, but um, I, I saw articles like that floating around on LinkedIn too, of like, uh, I don't know what it was, but it came out recently and it was like, fiber doesn't affect the gut a lot, but prebiotics do. Uh, or maybe it was about fermentable foods and yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I should read it before I make any sort of comments about it. But, you know, it's really, uh, you know, I, I guess I understand it in some ways. You got to, your, your title's got to say something on that paper, but, uh, yeah. you know, just to say fiber is a little too broad. Food, food yeah. does or does not change. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, but and, and to your yeah, no, to your point earlier, like, um, what were those subjects consuming beforehand? Uh, what was their microbiome used to, and that could have a big impact. So yeah, I get like uh, aggravated sometimes by these headlines too, and I'm like, I, I shouldn't take it too personally. Yeah, no, and that's part of it is the sometimes, it, I mean, a lot of in, in the media, you'll see the headline has to sell, right? So that's, yeah. but some of the, 
even some of the publications, some, it no, you're right. the journal, some, too, of some of them want a definitive statement where others, no, 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 you can't say anything about a benefit or a detriment. You just say, yeah. tell me what you studied and they have to read yeah. it. But some of them are very kind of forthcoming that, yeah, fiber does nothing or fiber is the best, yeah. you know, but <laughs> pick a side. It, it cures and... everything, you know, like, well, it doesn't, but I mean, he, um, even my own research, uh, we looked at safety of pectin and formula and feeding it to pigs. And we didn't say safety of high molecular weight, this type of pectin from this, you, you your title becomes ridiculous, yeah. right? I mean, we at least, we yeah, at least said, yeah. we at least put a dosage in the title. Um, but I could have gone if in retrospect, had I known, well, I suppose this is what the method's for. We at least said what it was, you know, some we, we've read yeah. studies where they said yeah. we fed pectin and I'm like, uh, I would like to know what kind, please. <laughs> Yeah, oh, or yeah, like, it, can you give a brand so I could look it up or call some? Not just straight up pectin. We fed cellulose. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I. Well, that's where too. On the, I was at a I spoke at an NIH conference a few years ago. On the, I was on the microbiome and it was kind of methodologies and stuff. And I my task really, I was supposed to talk about dogs and cats, but or like or non rodent models, I guess. But so I actually there I spoke spoke about dogs and pigs is what I spoke about. But as part of, there was another, it said, you know, speakers, if you can answer some of these questions. So, but part of it was about diet and I kind of got on the, on the, on my soapbox for a little while. And, and I guess I, I ended up preaching to the, <laughs> much preaching to the choir, but there are a lot of people that thanked me afterwards that I said, we are so specific about all these methods about what we measure and what we do. But then when it comes to diet, Ah, we'll just feed that diet. And so like, no, 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 you can't do that. You have to think about what fiber, you know, all the components and you know, a lot of the stuff we've been talking about. But a lot of people thank me afterwards because you read all these papers that they don't give a level of detail that you ever could replicate oh, anything. Yeah, and when it comes to diet, like, yeah, like you said, pectin, it, it's a big difference. The low molecular weight, high molecular weight and their properties and, you know, everything, how they'll respond. And it's the same, you know, all the way through really for diet composition is it a semi semi purified diet? Is it a you know some what, what kind of ingredients were you using? Because yeah, all these things, particle size and uh, you know everything, the matrix is is completely different. So if you haven't described any of that, well then it well, really doesn't advance the science because you can't replicate it anyway, and you don't know which you know if you're gonna buy a special ingredient, you have to know what <laughs> what it was. Unless it's labeled, like you said, what's the source, what's the catalog number or whatever. Even or, then though, you know, there's you know, no, it's not for sure that the manufacturer is going to have all that information. Yeah. yeah. Or they yeah, might list to, like, hopefully. oh, it has, it was 40% pectin and you're like, but what else is in there? And you're like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of those ingredients will guarantee something. Right. But the what's other the rest of the stuff, stuff in there? You don't know what, what, what is yeah. that? Because it's not well defined. So this is the difficulty um, though, because, um, we come across this issue just in publishing where I probably everyone who's best suited to review my work, I have some sort of conflict of interest with whether negative yeah. or positive. It's just like, well, you know, I've talked to them here and we've worked over there. So I end up getting these reviewers who don't know anything about like the, the intersection of all the different fields we work in. You know, sometimes honestly, I'm like, oh, those were easy reviews. And then other times I'm just like banging my head against the wall. I'm like, why are you even asking these questions? These are ridiculous. But like, yeah. I don't, do you get that in your own work too? Or it's just like, well, I'd love for this person to review it because they are intimately aware with what would be good and bad. But like I've published with them before or we're on the same committees. Like there's just too much bias. 
Yeah, that it is, and especially in the microbiome space in particular, there's a lot of people, but even, you know, I, I tend to be fairly collaborative. So I collaborate with a lot of people. So then you get to a point where you know, I, I guess I don't put them on my recommended reviewer list because I don't, you know, I, while, even if I think they could do an unbiased review or else if it's been a few years, then I think, well, I haven't worked with them in a while. Maybe, maybe it's okay. But I've heard other people say that too, that it, if you publish with a lot of people who, who ends up reviewing your papers and sometimes they'll, like you said, sometimes you'll get, you'll get almost the extremes. You get one that then they completely don't understand what was going on. And so, or what was designed, what the intent was. And if it's a dog and a cat, sometimes they'll say, this has nothing to do with human nutrition. And I say, exactly. It's not for human nutrition, it's for <laughs> dog and cat nutrition. And so that you get that rejection because they, yeah. they're thinking, oh, it's a model, but you haven't You're like, no, this is a, it's model. a model like, for itself. <laughs> it, yeah. It's a model for it's a target species. It's not a model. You're right. Yeah. And so that's very frustrating, but then you get the others that they clearly, it's very, it's an easy way to publish, I suppose, because there's no, they didn't, like it just goes through almost without any comment at all, which I think, well, that's not true either. Like it wasn't perfect. So you can ask something and right. I guess that, nope. that those nope. reviews are easier to deal with because you're, then you're published. But I love those words, no dumb. comment. And they're just like quality of writing, two out of five. <laughs> Novelty yeah, of this, yeah. three out of five. And you're just like, but you've got no feedback for me. Yeah. No, just I mean, that's the, all the way. Yeah, I know that's whether it's good or bad, there should be some constructive feedback of some kind yeah it's a that is a that is a tricky thing and i think now too that you know people are just overwhelmed with how many things oh, are going yeah. on whether it's COVID or not if, you know just a lot of the good reviewers won't review because they're busy they're they're asked to, you know you could you could spend times your entire week, job so. just reviewing papers all day oh yeah yeah so. you could add to it you could definitely in the fiber microbiome you know that that space you could you could just yeah that could be a full-time job so it um, it, it's it's tricky, but that that's the frustrating part. That then sometimes the reviews, whether it's positive or negative, you don't have much to help you. You know, to, hmm. a really good reviewer actually will, even if it's a positive review, they'll still add say, you know, I would still do this or clarify that because you might think you've described it well, but you haven't. Yeah. So you should, you know, clarify this. And so then you know, a good reviewer will, it will improve the quality of the paper because you might think, oh, everything's great and this is the best draft we have, but. <laughs> yeah you're missing something, you know, so you, you hit um, submit and you're like, this is perfection. And you get yeah, reviews yeah. and you're just like, wow, there's just like typos and words missing. And like yeah, 10 yeah. people reviewed this. <laughs> we all got our blinders yeah. on. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So yeah, things and sometimes if you, especially if you're the main author, you, you know what you want to say. So you just, you know, you don't see some of that, that, um, it's just not there, you know, but, um, yeah, but it yeah it gets to be tricky sometimes of getting an. That's probably goes for every field, I guess. Is just get getting an accurate reviewer that's that's an you know unbiased source and getting it through. But yeah, some days you'll sometimes you'll see, especially in the, you'll see the higher journals. Um, sometimes there'll be there'll be huge flaws when it comes to diet. That you say if you went to a nutrition journal, this would never got published. But now you're in science and you got the reviewer that. Based on your name, a largely and the reviewer that didn't know what they're really mm. talking about got it accepted, and that can be a problem as well. That repeating, oh, so and so, they'll cite the paper, but repeating it doesn't happen because you, you know, then you get people in the nutrition side that know what they're talking about. And yeah, it doesn't work, and so they can't replicate it. So um, again, that's just the frustrations with publications, I guess, in general. But um, I guess there's, there's 
it's a really bad format to use to talk about studies and data because you can only say so much in a limited place and yeah. there's too many you know like if you do a trial on humans you could say you know they were on average 30 years old but give a standard deviation there's so much more complexity to that the distribution and and you know yeah. was there a relationship between how old and the and the sex they were or ethnicity or even just basic things like that but you know you've only got a table to describe those things in and I guess I don't have a better solution. I mean, we are, yeah. we are at a time now where you could almost make interactive documents online, but uh, I don't see that happening soon or like yeah, ever. Tough. Yeah. The biggest thing is that providing it as much description in the methods as possible. Yeah. I guess from a, like our grad students, we try to get to that level of, you know, if it's a special ingredient of some kind, what's the source and what, you know, can we describe yeah. it beyond just saying it's this, <laughs> beyond you know, that... ghosty supplemental. <laughs> Yeah, 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 described yeah. previously. Described yeah, yeah, previously. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Where is it? In a in a in a citation that maybe is may or not, may not be relevant from twenty years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. you're like you need you need details here. Um, but um, yeah, it's it. But yeah, the, that's where I guess from day one, um, I've always been just kind of beating to my head that the diet matrix, the diet composition is very important. Mm -hmm. So and not only what you predicted, but analyzing your diet oh, to yeah. confirm that what you thought you had is what you have now. And so, you know, on the animal side, on the humans, it's, you do your best, the best that you can with the dietary records, but it's, you know, you try to confirm, educate them up front, and then trying to check in with them periodically. So hopefully you say, yeah, um, you know, in the back to my course, and they do a three day dietary record. I'm like, did you really eat this much, you know, hummus or, you know, because they're trying to say, I ate this hummus and here's how much fiber. And it looks like, I think that's the entire package. Did you eat the entire <laughs> container of this? Jokes on you. They did. Up, yeah. <laughs> but to get your 30 grams of fiber at one bolus or, or not, you know, it, whatever the number would be. But there were a couple of people that kind of were overachievers. I'm like, I don't know if I believe this dietary record because, yeah. you know, what the numbers you have here are very hard to to believe. And so. Um, but even you'll see that on the animal side though, too, that if you're not in some studies, they won't measure intake, they won't measure like fecal output. So then you make some claims and that was early microbiome studies that with, especially with, when you think about a fermentation and obesity, um, saying, oh, it was highly fermented. They produced short chain fatty acids and they are now they're obese, but, mm. but what was food intake? What was, you know, yeah. if you look at the energetics behind it, um, a lot of that was never there. And I'd, I'd speak to the authors. I'd, I'd seek them out at conferences and say, not, you know, it's, it's, it's a personal conversation. I didn't go online and <laughs> say anything negative, but uh, did you measure that or didn't you? And I I'd almost kind of say, if you don't measure that, you know, if it's, if food intake is the main difference, well, then you're attributing it to X, Y, and Z, but it, maybe they just ate more yeah. and that's why, yeah. you know, so, or they ate less. So, so it, um, but you, it's very simple or very easy to get very, very molecular and very complicated when in fact, sometimes it, the answer is very easy. So usually for studies, I'll usually start at the easy part. Oh, sure. We can measure the microbiome. We can do this, but we better have some relatable um, measurables that, that make sense, you know, like just health wise mm -hmm. before we just don't, don't bypass those to go to the very, you know, cause people want to see microbiome data and met metabolomics data, which is great, but yeah. You better have the other ones along with it at least so you you can relate it to you know their overall response absolutely so, um like stool quality and stuff like that and sometimes it's easiest to do that first do a pilot study or a smaller study up front to see where you're at mm -hmm. to get your dose 
in the right range and then and then go and then deep you know dive in um sometimes you can you can design it and do all of that but but it um if you really don't know where what you have to deal with at all i you know i wouldn't if it you wouldn't sink that much money into it you know unless you you really are confident you have you think you know what you what you have there so yeah if it's i mean maybe aside from really wanting to understand basic or foundational research if it's not gonna move the needle on whatever end point of interest you have then i mean do you want to look into the mechanisms to how you got to nowhere <laughs> yeah yeah that's what yeah you want to know the is there an effect first before you start looking at a, me a mechanism because yeah. if yeah because you could you'll sink all the money into measuring things but then in the end yeah it didn't change anyway so they're a mechanism of what because, well yeah, you know, yeah. The, the outcome didn't change so well and you can look at it like you can I guess that's what perspective you're looking at. Are you looking at it from the outcome or from the input? Because you could go, okay, well, fiber, yeah. uh, it's soluble. Okay, maybe it has gelling properties. It's also fermentable. And I know that when things are fermented, short chains are made. And I know when those are made, this happens. And so you'd just be, mm -hmm. I feel like you'd just be stuck in the intestines forever for your entire life before you even got to like, how did it affect the rest of the host? <laughs> I suppose you could do yeah, the opposite. Yeah. And you'd be like, I don't know, we fed them fiber. They, they did well. They did pretty good. I don't know how, yeah, yeah. but they did good. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's what oftentimes it is. I'll, I'll do the top down initially to, to, or at least say, do you, from the top down view, this much fiber, does it show, you know, is there a difference in this or that, you know, it, it, simple things, food intake, stool quality, you know, mm. in fecal short chains, you could do something like that where it's not, you can argue about the value of fecal short chain fatty but acids. low hanging it, fruit, right? I mean, it's not hard but, but to do. But still, if it's, it's a, if it's way more fermentable, you, you'll see still, you'll see changes in short chains in the, in the feces. And, but that, yeah, that's a, and then I know when some of our correspondents too are thinking about other outcomes, not just laxation and blood mm -hmm. lipids, blood you know, glucose, but you get into more on the, maybe the mood side, the gut brain axis, those are very complicated, but you'd, you'd want to see if you can show some measurable yeah. thing at whatever you're measuring an anxiety to be, or anything with cognition you have that effect before you start looking at the mechanism. I, uh, you know, I, man, to make I would, sure yeah. you have a pretty good foundation. Um, I think, you... but then even there, the gut. I mean, I know you have nervous uh, nerve. Uh, you know, the vagus yeah. nerve can do certain things. There can be you know short chain fatty acids in the gut peptides. There can be other. You know, it gets very complicated to prove those mechanisms, and um, that, that's where I struggle and like you said it, will there be you know fda will there be some of those measurables as being maybe a health benefit in the in the long in the you know in the long term that they might be but it takes a lot yeah. of i think a lot of data to lay that foundation to to make and then the right studies design in the right way to, to make it believable because it um laxation by far is still laxation stool volume is still the easiest thing to say to show yeah this is a fiber yeah, you know yeah to, to, to go beyond that, it, it gets, I mean, you can, you can do, you know, blood lipids, blood glucose, you can show those as well. Uh, you get into satiety, then, then it gets, you know, what, what's your measurable, um, even, even laxation, there are people that will argue, do you look at uh, stool, you know, bowel movements per week? Are you looking at overall stool volume? Are you, what's your measurable? It, it, yeah. And so you have to make sure uh, you're, you know what you want to do and then design the study to show that that allows you to show that if you're not, but those can be quite in, invasive though, to take complete, you know, everyone's stool output for a week or, or something like that to get an actual reliable value yeah. that, um, just given the, 
variation in people, you know, people's food intake, their just their, I'll say their bowel movement frequency, yeah. it, it differs. And so it's just, you can't just say, oh, we just want one day and, oh man, yeah, you know, it doesn't work that you can, you have to have um, the study designed in such a way to, to do that, but it becomes more in, intensive with the subjects and re, retaining the subjects over, you know, X amount of weeks or months or whatever you have. And so that, it, yeah, um, that, yeah it, it becomes difficult there to, to show that benefit. And on the cognition side, it would, you know, I'd argue probably more complicated there to <laughs> what's your measure and what are your outcomes? Cause it's quite variable and subjective yeah, uh, with a lot of them. From what I understand, I'm not in that, in that area, but you listen to the experts and some of them, if they're doing a, a meta analysis on something, those measurables are very difficult to kind of just throw together and say, Oh, yeah. you know, cause all the studies are designed and done a little differently. And can you group them together and say, you know, collectively these say the same thing yeah, or not, yeah. or, or can't you? So it, it's, um, you know, it's complicated when you get to, um, and there's just so many, um, it's things that have to happen from the gut to the brain yeah. or can happen. It's, yeah. There's a difficult. lot of, there's a lot of places that you could loosen a factor that it could have one. And I mean, yeah. cognition, yeah. and because I was on the neuroscience side of the lab in grad school, I mean, it's really easy to be like, Oh, it's so complicated, but I got tripped up by simple things like short chains because I would read, you know, just the things everyone would say about them and what they do. And then I'd go, it feels like there's a little more complexity here than I realize, and there definitely is. And sometimes, maybe short training is a bad example. No, it's not a bad example. We looked at like uh, the variability around that. You know, you could look at coefficient of variation and things. And there were some studies where like, this is unexpectedly high and we have no reason to believe the method was done poorly, unless it was and we just didn't notice or something or, or didn't re report it. And on the cognition side, it's very easy for people to be like, oh, you know, a lot of things are self-report, which is subjective. That's true. And there's a lot of variability. I'm like, there's a lot of variability in just innate biology, too. Like, you're trying to make it sound like all this brain stuff is specific. It's not. Like, blood glucose, yeah. that itself, there's a lot of variability in that. Um, uh, yeah. And uh, that that what's probably unhelpful for a lot of manufacturers is that the FDA doesn't have, I think, probably rightly so they don't have great definitions on what a health benefit is um mm -hmm. because yeah. as you said like proving laxation itself can be difficult so try to prove that someone feels better or has less anxiety or depression like there are measurements of those but they can be tricky and you know you might open the door to too many people trying to make crazy claims um yeah. but we yeah, yeah. on the laxation side we helped a client with a clinical trial where they were fed a uh a product um, high in protein and fiber and looked at, we've actually got three measures of, of laxation. We've got a bowel habit diary that they took for uh, three days, six days leading up to every visit. We've got a, um, oh my gosh, the GSRS gastrointestinal symptom rating scale. Um, mm -hmm. And then we also have, um, I guess part of the bowel habits diary is we do have Bristol stool scales. So we're trying to understand, you know, these people wrote down how many times they had to strain at the beginning and at the end. Did they have to have a laxative? What was the Bristol stool scale of them? We've got gastrointestinal reports of like pain and discomfort, discomfort and constipation. Um, and so we're just trying to understand, like, do these two things even align with each other? Do people know when they are constipated or when they have diarrhea? Um, 
and then the it ended up going into the supplemental what ended up happening is there was no difference between groups in like frequencies or rates of bowel movements and some would probably argue we're about to go on a fishing expedition but now we're trying to understand like well is this only helpful for people who already have diarrhea who already have mm -hmm. constipation so it's like drilling down into that to those subject populations more and more and say like, okay, if you're already help if you're already healthy, this may not matter. It's really for those people yeah. who have that baseline level of constipation or, or mm -hmm. loose stools. So, you know, just yeah. slice and dice your clinical trial until you have like zero statistical power anymore. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we started with like a hundred well, people. Where... There's like 10. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's where I, I think, you know, definitely you have to recommend whether it's on the pet side or, or human side, if you're really in the end, want to, want to make a claim, I, I, you, you really should talk to FDA and say, because it is the, their answer oftentimes, well, it depends, you know, if they're on the, especially on a podium at a conference, it depends and it does depend <laughs> yeah. because the, what are you trying to show and when, what are your measures? And then can you then say, a, B, or C, you know, on, on that, but it, it depends on a lot of factors. So oftentimes you'll, you'll share, here's our study design. This is what we want to do. This is our, these are our outcomes. This is the population because to your point too, that I've heard questions before. And can you have a population that's slightly constipated in quotes, you know, that so yeah, they're not yeah. a clinical case, but it's, you know, again, you're, it's going to be easier to show a, a change in bowel movements. If you have a, a, a population that's not clinically, you know, ill, mm -hmm. but that they have a lower frequency than it, those that are very regular. Of course, you can't, how are you going to make them more regular? Yeah. <laughs> um, so you know, it's, it's hard to do. So you really have to think about a lot of factors. And then I would really encourage, I was talk to FDA, say, here's our plan. I know it adds, you know, might add a few months on the front end, but then, then you, and usually they'll, uh, I know on the pet side, certainly they'll say, here's our, here's our, for a new ingredient or you want to you know, do something there for from an efficacy and safety side they'll they'll look at it and say well i i would extend it to this long you only have you know x amount of weeks you really need to push it out this way and then they'll kind of sign off on you're still never guaranteed right, if yeah. you know, if the response isn't what you think it is but if you just say you know what i'm just going to do this study and this is what we're going to do but then you don't fda only sees the results afterwards they might have a huge problem with your design that would, mm. you know, and then you've wasted all that time and energy. So, yeah, it's, um, but like you said, sometimes you can take a, a subset and we've even done that on a, we, we did that on a, um, agave inulin where we looked at a bifidobacterium population changes, you know, just uh, relative abundance. But um, what it ended up being was almost every woman on the study had a nice response and men were kind of hit and miss. So either it was due to, you know, dosage based on their kilogram body weight or their amount of food that they ate or whatever it was, or, or just something inherently hormonal different between the men and the women on our study. But it was, it, I mean, things like that too, that, um, and nowadays you, we, we've done studies in the past. We were worried about, you know, um, just, I'll just say that the estrus cycle and how that might influence certain things. We did a study where it was just men. Well, then a few years later, we, you know, we went to, to IRB. And so I was like, why are you only using just men? And oh so, yeah. That's like and, all over on animal yeah. stuff. They're like we don't want to deal with estrus cycle. There's too many variables. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so then you're like, well, why? So in, the, in this study and even the sponsor, they, they wanted, we need to apply this to all people, not just, yeah. not just men or not just women. So we did it that way. But then, um, 
but there was there's that variance and whether it's just due to like body size and food intake is one thing or I mean, just and it, depending on a life stage too, if it's pre or postmenopausal, just that it, alone, there's estrogens effects and kind of the estrogen can affect the host and the microbiota, but also the recycling of estrogens can be impacted by the microbiota. Mm. So oh, it's man. like this, you know, t- give and take a little bit that they can affect each other. So it really, um, it, you have to think about all those variables as well to make it even more complicated. But um yeah, it's too many, too many things to consider in designing a yeah. clinical trial. Yeah. You're like, yeah, it's fine. We'll have like two groups. Maybe they cross over. Don't, you know, get up, get your power analysis done, hit the ground running. Um, yeah, it's definitely more work this way, but I think I'll, maybe I'll, <clears throat> instead of just saying it's too complicated, maybe some of the simpler solutions I think could be to also measure some of the health outcomes during the inclusion or screening process, which yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's a double-edged sword because then you'd just go like, oh, man, none of these people fit the inclusion criteria, so now we don't have a study to do. Um, but it would probably be helpful, though. You know, make sure you've at least targeted the right population. But especially nowadays and in pandemic times, it's harder to yeah. recruit and, I guess, basically do anything. <laughs> yeah. Well, we did it. We um, With Hannah Holster and one of her uh, postdocs and one of our grad students, we, we wrote a... Um, a meta-analysis, uh, or sorry, a systematic review, not a meta-analysis, a systematic review on inulin type fructans. Mm. And it was kind of for many different outcomes and definitely BMI and age were, were key parts of that, that, you know, that any, anyone in, you know, above, I think it was about above 70 or, or 75. Now I have to, I think it's 70, which most of the studies were in that category anyway, but, you know, we're looking at bone mineral density and things like that, but our, the focus was really adult. So a lot of that data is in adolescent oh. girls in particular. Uh, there's, there's some data stu- still in, in adults too, but we, you know, the criteria, if you're doing that really, who are you talking to? And, you know, it, whether it's a systematic review, a meta-analysis, or you're just talking to FDA regulators on what your claim is going to be, it's, well, who's this intended for? It, it really, you have to think about those guidelines a little bit as well. And so it, yeah, it all kind of comes into, into play. So you can at least say something that, the population usually you're targeting adults, but it depends on the product. You could, you know, yeah. target adolescents or geriatrics on you know on each end of the spectrum too. Especially on the gut health side, it, uh, you can easily make that argument sometimes. But you then then the literature you're using or the studies you're doing has to be relevant yeah. to you know to that. So it um, yeah it it really um, I there's only again there's so many things you can you can control, yeah. but you at least have to can think about those. And if you can measure things, measure it, it could be helpful later on in a yeah, yeah. post hoc analysis or something, you know, where you're making some correlations maybe, or uh, something that can help explain the data you have. But um, again, there's this fine balance of you try to measure too many things. It might just complicate things or it might, it might affect the other Your Primary outcomes might be affected negatively. If you, if people or animals are stressed True, out all the time, then it, you're, you're not, <laughs> they're always in my face, just like, yeah, collecting yeah. data. Yeah. So you might not have, you might, might not be end up testing that what you think you're testing and, you know, some of those <laughs> your cases, whole population but, is just stressed. <laughs> yeah. They're high. They're highly stressed because you're never, you never left them alone. Yeah. So. Well, okay. It sounds like the easiest thing people could do maybe without more work is just to do better reporting. What type of fiber was it? There's the low hanging fruit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely trying to describe that what that was, and if you know if it's natural, then you again, how many avocados was it per day, or how many grams, or you know something, yeah. some kind of measurable. But 
And then if you can measure in the lab that, you know, um, I, I'm not sure, you know, uh, Hannah and Naman, you know, measured that, you know, of, you know, here's so many avocados and I, you know, there's, that's in the databases, I suppose. So maybe they didn't measure, you know, the, the, the nutrient, um, you know, uh, makeup of, of I think that, it did but, actually, but uh, it, it oh, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. They used like and, established databases, which is different from yeah. also measuring the ones that you have. Okay. Yeah. 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 On the pet food side, usually, or like animal side, if you're making a complete diet, we always analyze is that's again, insane. back to that, that thesis that I had defense I had earlier in the week. It was, here's what you thought you were going to do. And then <laughs> here's what you have. You know, the ingredients are different, you know, and it's just, it ends up being slightly different. So sometimes it doesn't rule out what you've done. It's just, but if you targeted, you know, you know, I wanted 12 grams of fiber um, intake every day, well, it ended up being 14. Well, that, that, that changes it. You know, it, um, you just have to know what you're, what you're adding. So, yeah. it, um, but, um, so we always analyze our diets as well, just to make sure yeah, um, we we doubly sure we're given what we we thought we were gonna give. So you have that table formulated, analyzed. Please, no one, yeah. don't look too closely at how off we were yeah. from our formulation. There's yeah, no explanation. We, I don't know. It just is different. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's and sometimes you just have to you have to own up and say we we targeted this. It ended up being ended this. being we half of that. So uh... and and then in your discussion, you can you know hopefully it doesn't totally. Uh, Again, yeah, it should be close, but then when you do, uh, you know, when the reader interprets it, it should be, you know, if you formulate it to be 10 and it ends up being 15 in the abstract, you should clarify that because some people only read the abstract and they'll say, oh, 10 did this. Well, okay. and, and, and we ended we, up uh, having 15, whatever the number is, you know, so it, can we get our abstract extended um, to a thousand words, please? You know what? Just make yeah, the whole thing, the abstract, <laughs> that would be the easy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's, um, th those can be challenging too, to, we're always some journals are more difficult than yeah. others to really squeeze in there. It's because, especially if you have complicated, you know, complicated uh, designs yeah, and yeah. a lot of outcomes and a lot of differences. It's it's really really, um, you know, what's most important to have in there, and you're only you know, only so many details can go in. So you have to be careful with with what you say. But um, yeah, I don't know. That's that, that gives you, uh, I guess the work there's always a job security there from just getting and there will advisor, always uh, be more studies that could be done <laughs> yeah how uh how do we get this in here and it, it you end up doing it but it, it's difficult sometimes but yeah if nothing changes it your differences weren't different you know your differences uh or they were trying to your hope that it was going to be different your uh, not, nothing really uh changes there then it, it becomes really easy <laughs> but then that's for a bad reason because it yeah. yeah our intervention didn't do what we thought it was going to do. So mm. um, back to the drawing board. But. Yeah. Well, uh, we're at our two hours. This has been great. What would be the one thing that you think, uh, I guess for someone who doesn't know much about fiber or and is working in this space, let's say for like for, for researchers on it, what, what should be like the one thing that they should, the place they should start uh, or, or what they should keep in mind? Oh, gosh, I guess I still I'm a nutritionist. So I'd say, you know, um, if you can increase your in your in your fiber with what whether they're enriched foods or natural foods, I think certainly is good. I, I do think whether it's on the microbiome, whether it's on fiber, if you adhere to the, the dietary guidelines, a lot of those recommendations are to give you a, a breadth of food, you know, different types of foods and 
getting your whole grains, getting your fruits and vegetables will, if you just, if you were to meet your dietary guidelines, that will get you a good, a, a good portion of your fiber you should have anyway, yeah. you know, and, and I would say, I tell my kids all the time, it, when you're thinking about vegetables, a, a variety of vegetables, not just, you know, and don't, don't, I mean, you can get some resistant starch from, from potatoes, but it, you know, you're thinking <laughs> your green leafies, your reds and oranges, and then on the fruit side, have a variety of those. So you're getting different. I, you know, I think from a nutrition perspective, but also fiber, you can get, you can get, um, a lot of that fiber there, but also if you're buying foods, if you, like we said before, there are some, whether it's pancake mixes or cereals or bars, look at the side of that package and you can oftentimes in my experience with these, some of these soluble fibers, it won't change your, the taste or the, the, some of them will, but some of them won't. You don't have to oftentimes change everything. You can make small mm -hmm. changes and it can add up to another, you know, five, six grams of fiber a day with just a very cu couple small changes. So um, you just have to be more intentional, I think, of what you purchase, what you think about what you're eating, I think, and you can, you can do it. So um, if you want to go hardcore and go get that 20, 28 grams, 38 grams if you're a man, you can do it. But again, you just have to Mm -hmm. uh, it's kind of baby steps. Yeah. If you're eating very low levels of fiber, one, you, you wouldn't want to do that all in one <laughs> yeah. day or you're, you might have a negative response. <laughs> so you have to build up to it. Um, but it is a, it's really, like you said before, whether it's dieting to lose weight or whatever, it's a really a, it's a long-term thing. It has to happen all the time. You just can't have, you know, one day a week, I'm gonna eat a whole bunch of fiber and then I'm not gonna eat any of the rest of the, you know, it, it's kind of a, a bigger change from a diet perspective and there are supplements certainly that can help you get there but i always think it's best to get it from the natural forms even these isolated food you know if they're in a food source it's still better than popping the pill i think sure. you know? um but i don't want to say anything about you know metamucil either it's very effective so you can you can do it that way to you know provide laxation it's just Ideally, you'd be yeah. getting them from kind of the natural the natural foods have so, your have your um, supplements be, be supplemental yeah, yeah, I think you'd still have to have a good foundation. That's a, yeah. like any nutritional principle. I think that um, supplements can be useful, but if you have a better, you know, strong foundation, that's always the better, better uh, way to go about it. Yeah. So, okay, so we got a lot in there. So, we got like varieties of spice of life. Uh, get yeah. everything from like Whole Foods. Uh, look at your labels. Uh, yeah, and then like baby steps, one thing at a time. Yeah, Perfect. Yeah. Hey, well, it's great. It's easy, right? Just, just, just. Yeah take i don't know 40 60 80 hours to research all yeah, this and then you can, you can figure it all out and, and then go for Dude. it but no it, it some of the things are quite simple though it's it's kind of simple simple things is simpler yeah. is better i think you know less is more with some of these that um and that's where you get the whole foods where you say avocado or you know fruits and vegetables that, um, again you want to know what the serving size is and everything but if um it's not all you don't have to get to know everything on the label, what everything means right. necessarily. You can get to that, you know, a couple key numbers and uh, maybe some ingredients there and, and search, you know, find what you're looking for. So, yeah. but, um, but yeah, it, it's one day at a time. Just, just start, if someone, you have to, again, you have to tr start trying and then you can, you can educate yourself and just, if it's online, I also say that too, to make sure you're, it's a reputable source, not, <laughs> not just anyone, you know, spouting off so yeah anyone can spin up a blog yeah exactly <laughs> myself included Ooh, yeah. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs>
All right. Well, I got to hop off from this. is great to have you on, and I'm sure we'll have uh, many more conversations to come. Hey, thank you so much for tuning in to the Traverse Science Podcast. If you'd like more of this content, check out our website on TraverseScience.com. You can follow us on LinkedIn, subscribe to us on YouTube, and you can check out the podcast audio version on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. All right. Take care.